Hi, I'm your host, Francie Taylor from Keep the Heart. We're doing something a little different here today because it's leading up to Resurrection Sunday. I wonder if you have the same habit that I have of reading through the Gospels and looking at the accounts, not only of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but even the events leading up to it. Today's episode, we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, and it's got an amazing 71 verses. I'm going to read through this chapter, but I'm also going to make commentary throughout. There are some things we don't want to miss. Welcome to Keep the Heart Podcast with Francie Taylor. Francie is an author, teacher, and conference speaker known for sharing biblical insights that are practical and inspiring. Now back to today's valuable study. I'm going to go through the verses starting at Luke 22, verse 1, and every now and then I'm going to pause and just make some commentary about the passages. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Now here's where we have Judas setting Jesus up. But before Judas did this, it's so significant that we not miss verse 3 where it says, Then entered Satan into Judas. Judas was wide open and unguarded. Judas may have been a follower, but not a believer. I can never think about Judas without wondering about his parents. All people come from somebody. A person can have a fantastic upbringing and still turn their back on God because they don't know the value of what they have. Judas, he valued money because at verse 5 it says, and they, meaning the Pharisees, were glad and covenanted to give him money. And then he promised. He said, okay, I'm going to go get him and I'm going to make sure that he's there, but not with the multitude And so, in other words, he didn't want to have anybody around who might be able to defend Jesus. Just a smaller crowd is what he was going to do. And that day of unleavened bread came, and we're at verse 7 now. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. This was Jesus instructing them. And then at verse 9, And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And verse 10, And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall shew you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And so the disciples were sent on a mission, and Jesus had already told them how it was going to go. And it went precisely like he said. And then at verse 13, and they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. 
And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Now we have the Last Supper, as we call it, and Jesus giving them that final meal together along with that closing warning that someone was sitting right there at the table that was going to betray him. Can you imagine sitting at a table with someone knowing that they were against you and in fact that they were about to set you up for death and yet you're sharing a meal with them and they're smiling at you and acting like everything's normal? You know, we look at that and we might be really harsh to judge Judas, but we have to wonder sometimes, are we ever smiling in someone's face and it wasn't very long ago that we said something terrible or negative about them? Or are we harboring evil thoughts towards someone? but pretending that we're fine. That's Judas-like behavior. And Judas was very good at pretending. So at verse 23, the disciples were trying to figure it out because they'd all been together. You know, the 12 of them plus Jesus, who could it be? It'd be like having this great big posse of your friends and wondering, who's dirty in this group? Nobody. We're all so tight. We're all so close. And nobody said, is it Judas? So we don't have any indication that they thought it was him. And then we have verse 24, where they change the topic entirely and become self-focused. And here's what it says. And there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Okay, hold the phone a minute. Can we even just read past that without pausing? No, we can't. What in the world? Here Jesus is telling them someone's going to betray him. And they say, oh boy, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And then they shift gears abruptly to, by the way, you know what? Which one of us is going to lead this pack? One of us has got to be the greatest. I wonder which one of us should be counted as the leader of the pack. Which one of us should be big man on campus? And Jesus said unto them in verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat. But I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So you see a gentle rebuke and correction from Jesus in that passage of verses 25 to 30. 
he not only corrected them and said, no, you need to copy me. I'm not sitting at meat to be served. I'm serving. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, as we've sung it so many times, learn to be the servant of all. But then he goes on and gives them a promise. And I appoint unto you a kingdom. See, there's more to come. We haven't seen a fraction of what is coming. And our focus doesn't need to be on the fact that we're going to gain so much, but that until then, we want to do all the good we can. And now the story goes on in verse 31, as Jesus turns his attention to one of the disciples in particular. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. There's so much in this passage that we don't want to miss, including that phrase, and when thou art converted. First, we have to talk about him being sifted, though. That word sift means there's going to be inward agitation to try one's faith, maybe even try to overthrow it. But when you are converted, this means when you turn back, when you come back, Do you know anybody out there who needs to come back to Christ? Pray for them to be converted and that they'll turn and strengthen the brethren, that they'll have a purpose in their Christian life. They won't just be drifting. We are so self-focused that we tend to view our Christianity through the lens of what can I get out of it rather than what can I give? Jesus didn't pray for Peter to be converted so that he could get He prayed for him to be converted so that he could strengthen the brethren. That means he prayed for him to become a giver. And verse 33, And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now we see that following the fact that Jesus put Peter on notice, Peter stepped up with bravado and said, Oh, Lord, I'll go with you to prison and to death. Now, that was an assumption on Peter's part because Jesus didn't tell them he was going to prison. He said he was going to die. But Peter made the assumption that prison was going to be included and then death. And he was so brave in his speech. Kind of reminds me of the brave keyboard warriors on social media that have such huge mouths by their fingers. They'll say all kinds of bold things that they'd never utter in person. Well, Peter did this in person. Peter was so impetuous. I'm going to go with you even to death. And then the Lord had to tell Peter the sad truth. The cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. That is such a sad verse. Basically, Jesus was telling Peter, you're going to deny you even know who I am. Can you imagine? Peter couldn't imagine it. And we can't imagine it either, but then we can't imagine the fearful situation that was about to come on to them. So now at verse 35, he's giving more instructions to the disciples. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, Nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, Let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. 
So Jesus was letting them know that he was going to be counted amongst the sinners even though he had no sin. And the disciples are responding now, verse 38. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow, and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? What a passage! Jesus was at the point in the Mount of Olives in the garden where he knew what was coming, so he was preparing in prayer. That's an example for us. When we know we're about to face something hard, we need to pray. And actually, we need to pray that we enter not into temptation no matter what's going on in our lives because we never know what a day is going to bring forth. But Jesus sure knew what was coming. Did you notice that the disciples were sleeping for sorrow? There's a fitful sleep that comes after you wrestle through grief, and you never get through with grief. But as you're wrestling through certain waves of grief, sometimes the sleep you fall into is one of exhausted sorrow. It must have made them profoundly sad that they weren't going to have Jesus with them. And the things that Jesus foretold and let them know about, how could they possibly not have sorrow? And then they slept. But Jesus told them, rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. But before they got a chance to pray, the multitude showed up with Judas the betrayer. And you know what he did? He approached Jesus to give that greet one another with a holy kiss kind of a kiss. So Judas was greeting him the way you would greet someone you care about or someone that's a friend. And now we pick up with the disciples' response to what's going on. In verse 49, when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves? When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. Now this is the beginning of the turning point for Peter. 
Jesus had warned him all the way back in verse 34, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt deny me thrice. So now here we are at that point in scripture, but Peter is following afar off. At verse 55, we see that they are kindling a fire in the midst of the hall and were sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Peter was trying to pretend like he was one of the crowd. But in verse 56, he gets called out. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is such a sad passage. It's an example of how easy it is to change. We can be very steadfast and on fire for the Lord, and we're going to be faithful to the death. And then something comes along that shakes us. Remember how Jesus warned Peter? Satan wants to sift you like wheat. That's the phrase that means he wanted to shake the foundation of his very faith. We can have things that come into our lives that shake the foundation of our very faith. What are you going through right now that is making you doubt God? Don't go down the route of Peter. The end of that route is profound sadness, bitterness, more weeping. It's so much better if we trust God and stick with him. And now at verse 63, And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Blindfolded? Do you remember that about these gospel accounts? Do you remember that they blindfolded Jesus and then smote him, beat him on the face, and then said, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? They were mocking him so horrifically. But to blindfold someone and then commit cruelty against them as what happened here, this is just unthinkable. And now we're at verse 66 and wrapping up the chapter. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. And that's how chapter 22 ends, with the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests 
twisting Jesus' words just like the serpent did in the garden. Jesus answered their question with, Ye say that I am. They turned it around and said, We've heard from his own mouth. Because they were so insane with jealousy and hatred of Christ that they wanted to get rid of him at any way possible, even if it took lying about him. Jesus still gave his life. They didn't take it. Always remember when you come to the resurrection story, this was voluntary. At any point in time, Jesus could have zapped these people off the face of the earth. I know you've probably heard or sung the song he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set himself free, but he died alone for you and me. This coming Resurrection Sunday, there's going to be so many visitors and churches all over the world because people come to church, Christmas, Easter, and funerals and weddings. Those are times when we need to be on the lookout for visitors, not all absorbed in our friends that we see every week, not all wrapped up in what our families are doing or not doing, and certainly not with our minds on what's going to be eaten after church. Do you know how hard it is to go to church when you don't go at any other time of the year? They're going to hear about the Christ of the Bible, and they're going to wonder some things. There are a lot of wise people in the world who are wondering, is there something more than this? And they're probably going to show up at your church. Are you watching for them? You can recognize visitors. They usually look a little uncomfortable. They ask questions like, where's the auditorium? (laughs) Or where's the bathroom? They just look like this isn't their home. Make sure they feel at home. Offer to have them sit with you. Ask them questions about who they are, but don't be weird about it. Don't don't make them uncomfortable. Make them feel at home. Ask a question. Provide information about yourself. Let a little quiet space be in between there. Help them out through the worship service. And at the end of the service, offer to extend just friendship to them. Meet them for a cup of coffee during the week. If you want to have them to your home for dinner in some of the coming days, offer that. But above all things, remember... They came to your church for a reason, and our Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's be completely alert and aware this coming Resurrection Sunday and every Sunday. You've been listening to Keep the Heart with Francie Taylor. Subscribe to this podcast and follow Keep the Heart on Instagram. Visit the shop at keeptheheart.com for Bible studies, books, and more, along with Francie's conference event calendar. Visit keeptheheart.com today. Thank you for listening.